This week's episode, like many lately, focuses a lot on subscriptions being critical to sustainable media models. We happen to agree with this at Digiday, which is why I'd like you to consider becoming a member of Digiday Plus. This is our subscription program that gives you access to exclusive in-depth analysis of the most important topics in media and marketing and retail. Also, you get access to our original research in these areas and also preferred access to Digiday events and much more. It is $395 a year, but if you use the code podcast at checkout, you get 20% off. Please do consider it. The pivot to paid is on. Publishers of all sizes are moving to diversify their revenue from an over-reliance on advertising. New York media is no different. In fact, advertising just a couple years ago was 85% of New York media's revenue, and it is looking to get that to about 60% this year, according to CEO Pam Wasserstein. Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Brian Morrissey. This week, I'm joined by Pam to discuss everyone's favorite topic, revenue diversification, as well as New York's vertical strategy with The Cut, Vulture, The Strategist, and its other brands, and how Pam sees a sustainable media model emerging. Spoiler alert, I tried but failed to get Pam to give up revenue and profits figures, uh, or if New York media would soon get bought. Still, we had a great talk. Hope you enjoyed it. Pam, welcome to the podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Brian. I'm glad to be here. Um, so I'm told you're not going to tell me about the tremendous revenue growth and profitability in 2018. But will was it a good year? Because, I mean, there was a lot of bad news coming out of the year um, from, from BuzzFeed, from Vice, from a lot of others. Um, so how was the year overall? I'd say it was a mixed year overall. Uh, first half was less good, and then second half, especially Q4, was pretty strong. So we're ultimately pleased with the growth, but it was a little bit touch and go there for a minute. Okay. So give me the the two or three things that went really well. Uh, you know, we're seeing, especially uh, end of last year and into this year, nice growth in digital advertising. Advertising? Yeah, even advertising. Um, which, you know, maybe a little bit uh, to the extent that the market is kind of valuing um, what premium publishers can And that's direct sales? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Although just... programmatic also growing nicely, but um, frankly, we had not had historically much of a programmatic business. Um, so, you know, specifically in our situation, adding programmatic capabilities, um, we had a pretty significant audience growth last year, actually. Our audience is up 40% year over year. So we suddenly had more inventory. So your revenue must be up 40%. <laughs> exactly. It works exactly <laughs> in that linear kind of way. Okay. Uh, no, not quite, but um, okay. but up nicely. So so that's good um, and trending well so far this okay, year. Okay, so advertising was a win overall last year, overall which is, which is sort of counter to the narrative that the advertising business sucks and everyone's got to get their readers to pay them directly in some form or fashion to make up for the hole um, that is left by advertising sucking? Well, the dream is that it's incremental, actually, right? So that advertising doesn't suck. Advertising works pretty well. But then on top of that, you're also uh, monetizing a valuable audience in a number of ways. Well, that's the ideal. Yeah. Okay, so that's what we're going for. We're going to go back to that. But what, sure. are, what, are, what are two other wins from 2018? 
Um, our affiliate e-commerce business, which is primarily around the brand The Strategist, is growing really nicely as well. Um, so, so that you know has become a real scaled business for us. Um, What's a scaled business? I don't, it's like it's a significant business. Okay, it's not incremental. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's incremental. Every I guess. course, it's incremental. That's why everyone in this industry loves incremental. Yeah, um, but. You're basically, you're making product recommendations and people are clicking on them and you're getting paid from Amazon. Correct. Or someone else, but Correct. mostly Amazon. Uh, yeah, Amazon, mostly Amazon, but we have um, pretty big relationships with some other affiliate partners mm -hmm. and then direct to the extent that they're not represented in an affiliate network. We sometimes do direct deals okay. with partners as well. So assuming, assuming that you're not going to give me exact figures on this, um, Explain why this can be a scaled business, because a lot of people talk about about commerce, but it's hard, at least for me from the outside, to see how this becomes a really large part of a publishing business. It seems very incremental, incremental in the sense of small. Um, I, I think it depends how, you know, the way that you're doing it and how much of a focus it is and um, also how authentic, authentic it is to your brand. Like... I think it's working well for us in part because um, starting with New York Magazine, you know, for 50 years we've been doing service journalism um, in a number of ways, but including around shopping and, mm -hmm. you know, here are cool new things to buy. Best Bets was part of the earliest New York Magazine. Um, here's a great deal. Um, these things are beautiful and affordable. That's that's very much in our sweet spot. Yeah. And you were doing this in the magazine for Correct. many years. Yes. Um, so then when we started The Strategist, which kind of uh, takes that perspective and then applies it to all of internet shopping, you know, it it was, I think, very understandable to our audience um, and just editorially fit really nicely into our ecosystem. Okay. I, I think it's, it seems like the key there is a lot of publishers are are going to commerce and just bolting it on. And um, maybe it's not because advertising sucks, but it seems like it's because their ad businesses generally are not doing great. So everyone's looking for different ways of monetizing, and this is one of them. Um, but it's just like an add-on. Yeah, um, and frankly, we um, started out that way also, although with some, with a degree of intention toward it. So we started... Um, including more affiliate links and just kind of our everyday content. I mm -hmm. think that's still how a lot of publishers are doing it. Um, and then, but then we started paying close attention to how it would do and kind of testing, um, you know, to see what worked well with our audience, what performed well, and um, which of our, before we launched the strategist brand, we would see, you know, um, product recommendations on the cut versus on Vulture versus on Grub Street around food. Uh, so there was a lot of uh, testing and learning. We it seemed promising, and so then we we started this strategist as a, its own independent digital brand um, two years ago. Okay. Yeah. Um, so those are two good things. Give me a disappointment. Well, I I think advertising is mixed, right? I think. Wait, it can't be both. <laughs> I can't. Well, I did say that the first half okay. was so the first less half strong. Okay. Uh, you know, in, in as much as we're seeing nice growth there, I think 
there should be even more growth, um, not just for us, really, but across the board for premium publishers. You know, you still see marketers who are kind of complain about, for example, brand safety and platform environments. Oh, they or, don't mean it. Well, <clears throat> right. And you're kind of like, well, there's actually, there are, you know, really brand safe, vibrant places where I'll you can... I'll believe it when they actually change their spending patterns Don't and not just like stand up at an IAB event and, and say how outraged they are about their ads next to jihadi videos on YouTube. I, I just, I don't believe it. Exactly. So I think that's, uh, you know... Market-wise, a disappointment. I, for what it's worth, um, I guess just from what I see in our growth, maybe I, I can't say that we're uh, of the size that we're like a leading indicator for all of digital advertising or anything like that. But in our experience, we we are seeing nice growth there, and um, so so maybe that tide is starting mm-hmm. to turn. But that's but, kind of outside of your control. But it's a little still bit, slow. Right? Yeah. Um, how about subscriptions? I mean, that last year was sort of the pivot to paid for for lots of people. Um, you guys started. It's still early. It's really early. We're in week uh, eleven or twelve. Yeah. Okay. Um, but actually, sorry, that should have been on my list of exciting things of 2018 yeah. because at the end of November uh, we launched our digital subscription. Explain product. the explain the impetus for that. If it wasn't advertising sucking, what what was it? Well, like all diversification is to some degree a hedge on yeah. advertising, right? Um, and if you are making content where you have a loyal audience, um, an audience that really values what you're doing, and now over the last couple of years in particular, has become much more accustomed to paying for content and paying for subscription, you know, paying for Netflix and Spotify and the New York Times it's it's kind of sitting there as... Mm-hmm. Is it just sitting there, though? I mean, because a lot of people are... It's I sitting talk there about as your, an opportunity. Right. So no, it's no, an no, opportunity. No, a lot of people to, have seen it. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of people who have come out with their subscription program, uh, programs. And I guess what I wonder is, you know, when these are going to hit a wall. There's only so many... Um, there's only so many subscriptions people are going to get, right? And so I don't know what kind of... Where do you think that your properties sit within that sort of overall consumer bundle? They're going to pay maybe for the New York Times or the Washington Post or some sort of news source. Um, maybe they'll pay for something professionally like Digiday Plus. Um, as well a, they should, yeah. As well they should. Uh, use podcast at checkout uh, for a 20% discount. Um, <laughs> But there's a lot of other content. You're you're in a very competitive area. Your brands are in very competitive areas, right? I mean, we're right across the street from Condé Nast. They're looking to get people now to pay pay them for for Vanity Fair, for Glamour, and for a lot of other of their publications. Yeah, I think um, this is a question. You know, how many subscriptions is too many subscriptions? I think a lot of people are asking right now as yeah. more and more publishers are launching subscriptions or not just subscription membership programs. Sure. Um, for us, we looked pretty closely at the market and um, did a fair amount of self-examination. Where where do we sit in this ecosystem, and especially in the lives of our customers? Um, I I think broadly speaking, there's you know that that first read, must read news mm-hmm. source like the New York Times, Washington Post, etc. Um, there are the the business publications. Mm-hmm. I need this to do my job. Maybe I can use a corporate card for it. Um, Great place to be. <laughs> which I bet that's nice. Um, 
<laughs> and then, so, and I think the, those two buckets have been a lot of the successes to date in sure. publishing a subscription. But I do think that there's a, a at least one other lane, probably many more other lanes, but from our perspective, at least one other lane, which is the um, beloved relationship where there's utility and there's also um, a, a self-identification mm-hmm. element. I think one reason Condé Nast is leaning into subscription is also that The New Yorker has been very successful. And The New Yorker is a good example, I think, of this third lane where maybe you're not, it's not like the very first thing you're reading in the morning, but you want it badly, at least for that audience, they want it badly. I mean, I think... And it says something about that. Right. I guess the question, I mean, for me, it's, that's one brand of their portfolio. The New Yorker, I mean, look, they have the tote bag, right? A lot of people will carry around the New Yorker tote bag, and that says something. That says that they've got people that are really identifying with the brand. You know, people are not carrying around the glamour tote bag. Um, I, I mentioned some Meghan Markle news to you earlier about her not closing the door. You know, that's on glamour. And, you know, I think one of the challenges that a lot of publishing brands have is that because of the ad model, they've gone in such a direction to need to build their audience to such scale that they've commoditized themselves in some ways because everyone has everyone, everyone has the same trending stories. Right. You know, and how are you going to charge for the same? And, and the reason they did that, it made total sense with the ad model because you're not, the, the numbers are not going to work unless your numbers get, get higher. Um, so explain how you guys see yourselves fitting in that and, and how you went about looking at your audience and segmenting it to what the opportunity is. We, um, we always even, you know, well before we were thinking deeply about subscription, we see value in differentiation. So mm-hmm. we're not, to the, to the extent a piece of our, a slice of our audience, we are there their um, kind of first news source. We we do sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll be a news site for them and sometimes do aggregated this thing happened kind of um, content. But most even that we're doing with an editorial spin and with this really specific voice. Uh, but most of what we're doing is quite original. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and we have that muscle probably in part because we... Um, have tried to fuse the the best of being a high quality legacy, you know, magazine publisher, right? Where we'll mm-hmm. do deep reported pieces, long form, and um, but at the same time, we were early in in digital publishing, um, especially uh, compared to other legacy right. publishers, and so we do have the internet metabolism at the same time, but throughout it's thinking about, okay, is someone going to pay for this is a nice discipline around, are, are you being differentiated and original mm-hmm. um, and, and specific in voice? Because mm-hmm. I, I think you're right that if you're publishing something commoditized, that's available for free. Well, you're in a bunch of different verticals, right? And mm-hmm. so I think the, I would guess that the opportunity is different across each vertical. Um, they, they they all have their different dynamics. Yeah. So actually, before we launched our digital subscription, we spent a lot of time doing 
not only audience research and um, analytics, but also these kind of existential internal conversations of like, who are we <laughs> and what, or rather, um, it's not quite right. We have a pretty strong sense of who we are, but then it's like, how, how does that thing that we are translate to a product and should it be one product or right. a set of products across different brands. Because you've you've verticalized. Correct. Which, which has a lot of strengths in, in that, you know, focus is good and it makes it particular. But then at the same time, you, you've sliced it up. And so does a subscription then go across the exactly. brands? Exactly. Right. That, that was the question. Um, because really, N- New York Magazine, the digital experience of New York Magazine is all of our... Um, digital brands are are vertical brands. So so that was what we were exploring. It was like should should it go across should a subscription product go across everything? Should it be different in different verticals? Um, what we concluded in that inquiry is that there's a lot of commonality in our audience across our brands. Um, and again, we we have these different verticals, but they share a pretty tight DNA. And mm-hmm. so part of our idea here, and we, over the years, um, we're probably more focused in developing each of the brands individually without necessarily highlighting the connectivity between all of them. So it, it's it's there. If you're, if you're familiar with Vulture, you will see that it's pretty um, tightly correlated to the cut, for example, or Intelligencer. Um, but you're saying there's a lot of overlap between the Vulture audience and the Cuts audience? Well, what's interesting is there's not a ton of overlap in audience, but there's very much a ton of overlap in um, in sensibility. Yes. So, that, so that's the tight DNA, is okay. the editorial core of it. Um, and then what that means is we, for a long time, were not so focused on introducing the Vulture audience to the Cut. It's just like you like Vulture, that's amazing. You're an entertainment enthusiast, you know, super. We're gonna super serve you uh, mm-hmm. all day long with Vulture. Now we um, Vulture is is a thing, right? It it has an independent audience. It's a known brand. Um, you know, it's still growing, of course, but it's it's established mm-hmm. in a sense, and so now. We're a little bit going back to uh, if you like Vulture and you know what Vulture is and you love Vulture, you might also enjoy, for example, the the Trump show and everything that's going on in politics. So you should check out Intelligencer because you're probably reading about politics somewhere. Mm-hmm. If you like the voice of Vulture, you're going to like the voice of Intelligencer, too. We're going to take a quick break here and we will be right back. I want to tell you about some other Digiday podcasts we have. We have Digiday Live, which features recordings of the best sessions from the events we hold around the world. There's also Making Marketing, where Shireen Patak interviews leaders from the marketing world. This week, she had on Shiv Singh, the former Pepsi exec, who has a new book out about navigating fake companies, fake leaders, and fake news. Also, our sister publication, Glossy, has two podcasts. There's the Glossy Podcast, which is hosted by Hilary Milnes, in which she talks with leading fashion executives. And our newest podcast, the Glossy Beauty Podcast, which is hosted by Glossy Beauty editor Priya Rao. Priya talks with an array of beauty leaders from emerging brands. I am personally learning a lot about K-beauty. 
You should check it out and check all of them out. Find them on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. So explain how that translated into the product itself, because I think one of the things that we've seen with paywalls is they've become, um, you know, not one thing. They've become, there's many different options you can go with. You can have a metered, you can have a high paywall, you can have a leaky paywall, you can have a dynamic paywall. We made a dynamic paywall. Um, it's pretty cool. <clears throat> uh, it, it is. Explain, explain the decision making that went into going with that kind of approach versus a, hey, look, here's the deal. You get four articles for free a month. Otherwise, you got to pay us. So because of the variations in the kind of content we publish, mm-hmm. so we do everything from, as I said, deep reported features that take months and months to pull together. Then we also do TV recaps. So with a subscription product that- I just used the True Detective uh, recap from Vulture. Great. <clears throat> Enjoyed it? I liked it. Great. Yeah, the recap, frankly, I read some vulture recaps where I don't actually watch the show. (laughs) I just like enjoy the recaps. Um, So with with that span, we thought it was important to um, match when you're hitting the paywall with what we imagine your expectations as a consumer are and to leave a lot of room for testing and Mm -hmm. um, trial and error, basically. So what we did, once we decided to put paywall across everything we do, then um, I should add, except the strategist actually is not covered by the paywall. Right. But our other brands are. Uh, then, All the other brands are. Yeah. So okay. it's Intelligencer, Grub Street, The Cut, and Vulture. Okay. So we um, decided to do a dynamic paywall. We put, first of all, we decided to build it ourselves. That was a question. You know, should we outsource the tech? Should we do it ourselves? Interesting. Why? Why build that? This again, in part to to do be able to do customization mm-hmm. um, on our own terms and pretty quickly. We also we have a custom um, publishing system. Yeah, so I want to get to that. Okay. <clears throat> um, so which we licensed to other publishers. So there was a thought. You know, we we want this for yeah. ourselves. And by the way, publishers our customers are going to want this yeah. too. So um, there's this ancillary benefit where it's mm-hmm. adding value to that product. So the way that the dynamic paywall works is with certain kinds of content, you're going to hit it pretty fast. And with other kinds of content, it's going to be slower. We thought about... Based on what signals... So depth, like, are you are you going deep in vulture? Are you reading, um, you know, forty TV recaps? Yeah. Like, or you're, you're going to in the course of that, you're going to hit a paywall. Did I just come from Google for the one True Detective recap? Exactly. Okay. Um, so that's one. So that's one. You're also you're never going to hit no matter um, how much you're reading on your first visit. You're not going to hit a paywall because we want to. Um, Keep you around for the long term, build loyalty, yeah. create a habit. What if you have a big ad deal you got to deliver on? Well, the does, beauty does that factor in? <laughs> um, no, because a lot of dynamic paywalls, like you know, it the could. reality is you're you're balancing two different business models, and you know, if you've got a giant ad deal that you've got to deliver on, um, it might make sense for. If you know enough about a certain user that it's like, this this guy is not converting, um, it makes more sense to show more ads, I would guess. 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, you can personalize the experience. <clears throat> um, so we started with just a couple signals. It's like how deep you're going, what kind of content are you reading, you know, big features, you're going to hit it relatively quickly. And then we also look at, in our case, with multiple brands, are you reading across smaller mm-hmm. verticals? Um, because if you are, then you probably have a higher propensity to, to subscribe. Uh, do people convert more on one brand versus the other? Come it's, on. Okay. <laughs> you wouldn't give me the revenue numbers. Give me this at least. It's early days. <laughs> it's early days. Um, one thing that's interesting that we're seeing is it's not necessarily, it's not that our highest traffic pieces are necessarily the pieces that are converting users. So that's just... okay. But it's not surprising what is leading. Like Again, really, we're 11, 12 weeks in, um, so I'm hesitant to draw any big conclusions, mm-hmm. right? Because it And it changes. I mean, that's the craziest thing with, I think, with the pivot to paid, if you will, is that something that works like one month will change the next month, and then it'll change the next month, and it's just constant testing. Right, right, right. So we're very much in the constant testing uh, mode right now. Um a bunch of cut mm-hmm. pieces have converted really well recently. Okay. So that's kind of an And it's a there. challenge because it's not like one piece. It's kind of like last click attribution. It, it's not like one. Yeah. Just because people converted on like one piece, I mean, they've they've been led down that journey, I guess, the customer the journey. The customer journey. Yeah, I know this. We're in this business too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've got, we've built out customer journeys. Right. So we're looking at both. We're looking at um, what people who ultimately convert mm-hmm. are seeing through their customer journey, mm-hmm. um, as well as what the, the most recent thing that they've looked at before they subscribe. Um, so the signaling that we do with the dynamic paywall, instead of you know, you have two articles left, you have one article left, you need to subscribe. So we say more, um, would you like to subscribe? And then, mm-hmm. reminder, you can subscribe. Yeah. This is great. And Is there a downside, though, that it's kind of random from a consumer perspective? Like, I don't know, like, it's like rolling the dice. Well, and then the last one is you're very close to your limit. Even though you've never said what my limit is. Correct. And my limit is different from someone else's limit. Correct, yeah. Isn't there some aspect of, you know, it's kind of unclear to the consumer? You think people just don't think that way? I think people are getting more and more acclimated to to various forms of paywalls and meter paywalls. And so it's not surprising or outlandish or unfair feeling to them mm-hmm. that... Um, that they will be asked to pay at some point. And I think that they were communicating early on, you know, as you proceed down this path, we're going to ask you to pay. Hmm. Uh, so kind of. other things you're doing outside of advertising um, to, to make money, um, you're in events. Events, yes. Okay, you've got uh, the Vulture Festival. We do a Vulture Festival, um, which is a big kind of cultural extravaganza over a weekend. Okay. You're also licensing a CMS. We are. Okay. Um, our CMS is called Clay, which is Clay Felker. Clay Felker, who is the founder of New York Magazine, um, founding editor, and we like it also because the the CMS is moldable, adaptable, mm-hmm. 
So it so who's works u- on two levels who's there. Who's using this? Because I think a lot of people, not a lot of people, some publishers have said, well, we're going we're gonna to build our own tech and then we're going to license it. But it's a totally different business. Right. So we're um, probably a little bit, we're approaching it a little differently than some of the other publishers that are in the CMS licensing business. So let's see, Slate was our first mm-hmm. customer. So Slate runs on an RCMS now. And because, so this is for mid-sized publishers? Mm, that's a good use case. I don't think it's the only use case. It's for anyone who wants a high-quality publishing experience. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but although it's, it's, it's not, not for everyone, it does require a, a tech team. Like If, if you're just, hey, mm-hmm. I want to start Brian Blog, it's yeah. probably not right for you um, because it's, a little, it's just more than you need. Um, but the beauty of it is that for this use case where you have some tech capabilities, but you don't want to reinvent the wheel, but you want some control of your um, publishing experience, then then it works really well. So Slate, for example, they build applications for it, mm-hmm. as do we, and then the whole system open gets better. It's open source, yeah. Yeah, but um, it's not competing with like the Washington Post and ARC. Well, in a sense, it is. It is. Yeah, because, you know, Slate could have bought ARC, right? Um, So we also, Radio.com is also Mm -hmm. on Clay, and now Golf.com as well, which was spun out of time. So is this a big opportunity or an incremental? My definition of incremental. Your definition. um, So far, we've treated it, and this is why we're operating a little bit differently. We've treated it as incremental in the sense that we we don't have a sales force. It's... It's been um, more like a CTO to CTO or product person to product person yeah. conversation um, as we're, you know, figuring out how how big the opportunity is. Okay. Just in the last, you've got subscriptions obviously are a big way to diversify uh, the business. Events. Yeah. You know, Vulture Festival's big. Um, yeah. I haven't been, but I've... I've Heard it's big. Oh, it's very good. <laughs> Check it out. I, I'm just trying to be honest here. Yeah. Um, and you, actually, the cut's doing um, an event in a couple of weeks uh, called How I Get It Done Day. Okay. What is that? So, How I Get It Done is um, an editorial feature that we do on the cut where they'll interview um, an influential woman about just have a really candid conversation about how she lives her mm-hmm. life. Um, is that a is that a, a sort of sponsor driven model? No, it's editorially driven. No, no, no. I, I don't mean that. <laughs> I mean the business model. Like I know it's editorial driven, but oh, how do you make money for the how I get it done yeah. event? Yeah, is it mostly tickets? It's or most. It... It's a mix of ticket mix. and sponsorship. So okay. we've done um, how I get it done evenings, where an editor, usually Stella Bugby, the president of the cut. Mm-hmm leads a small panel and then there's um the whole thing is quite intimate it's maybe 150 women ticketed um and then often also sponsored so we in a couple weeks are blowing that out to a whole day okay um commerce obviously with the strategist uh licensing the tech what am i missing as far as the portfolio the revenue portfolio um we're early days in film and tv Okay, um, and that is what licensing something to Netflix or that's that's like the low hanging fruit. Um, and actually, last year we had two pieces that where there was a big 
bidding war in both cases. Netflix was where we ultimately partnered. Um, but then, you know, down the, we're working on a couple um, concepts where we would be the producer, co-producer, something like that, too. So I'm going to ask you for a number now. Are you ready? What kind of a number? <laughs> so if you were looking at advertising as the percentage of revenue, say, two years ago versus where you expect it to be, even though it is growing mm. um, at the end of this year, what would that number be? It would be something like 85% to 60%. Okay. Even though it's growing. Correct. I know. Yes. Because it's easy to diversify if it's just if it's just going down. Right. That's the natural diversification. <laughs> exactly. Um, how important is that? It, the overall diversification from an ad-driven model? I think it's really important. Yeah. yeah at least that's, like that's, that's a number been you quite look at. That's core a, that's a, to our strategy okay. over the last couple of years. Yes. So what I just described is a good result from my perspective. So if you end if you end 2019 with 60 percent advertising, what percent subscriptions? A smaller percent. <laughs> okay, we'll just say 40 percent that are a mix of subscriptions, uh, tech licensing. I don't. Do you break events out differently? I mean, events, events commerce, yeah, commerce, yeah. Like that's a good result. Yeah. And is the overall ambition for advertising to be about half the business, or? Yeah, I think that's that's about right. Okay. Um, and do you think that is ends up being the formula for sustainable independent media? I think you know I'm I'm kind of loath to. Um, to, I, I think it's a good formula for us, but I wouldn't say that what works for us is is right for everyone. I think w media businesses get you no, know no. talked about in this like publishers big is a monolith. Yeah, I, I, it's and one of my. We're really you know for some people like newsletters should be the core of their business, and sure. so it really and for some people like. You know, travel recommendation should be the core of their business. It, it, I think it's quite variable. So now I'm going to ask you a question you're not going to answer, um, <laughs> but I'll still ask it. Uh, last year, um, I guess word got out uh, that you are looking at options, exploring options. <laughs> We're always exploring options. Um, anything to update on that front? No, I'd say we're always exploring options. <laughs> sure, I think that's right. But everyone is. I mean, it's sort of the yeah, way of the world. Um, but we're we're focused on building our independent business. So. Okay, so give me the case for independent media business these days. That is not the biggest. It's not the smallest. It's not. It's somewhere. I mean, you're a midsize publisher. Okay, don't, I don't mean that in a it. bad way. It's fine. Um, Give me the case for that as a sustainable model. Well, I think it, um, I guess I just described my kind of formula that I see yeah. for us specifically and like what the sustainable model looks like. But Strong brands. Yeah. You know, verticalized that are somewhat focused brands. Yes. Um, yes. And I think um, that, I, just to say it again, I think, Brand is is mm -hmm. essential, yeah. Um, and 
building loyalty, building a genuine relationship with an audience, really understanding those people deeply, uh, all of that, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and then surrounding it with a diverse business model that's not overly dependent on advertising. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So we, we can agree on that one. Great. <laughs> um, but uh, not, I don't even think that's just a survival thing. I actually, I think that's a really exciting, promising business. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about that. Yeah. It's just hard to execute, right? It's all in the execution. <laughs> yes. Ultimately. Okay, Pam. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Thank you all for listening. This week's episode was produced by Gianna Capadona. She is filling in for our normal producer, Aditi, who is away. I think she's I think she's in India right now. Uh, please leave us a review and rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this week, I want to give a shout out to Ulf Hayden from Munich, who tweeted, Great Digiday podcast with Washington Post's Aram Zucker-Scharf on programmatic ads. You can't solve transparency by adding more technology. Aus the Digiday podcast. Danke. Uh, And thank you all for listening wherever you are. uh, Please tweet and email comments, criticism, or even compliments like Ulf's. I am at bmarcy on Twitter, and brian at digiday.com is my email.